So now, oh. I don't want to say, like, when you laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Lean backwards. <laughs> this is going to be challenging. Because <laughs> I interviewed Nat on my podcast and she, it's great because she laughs. Yeah. But she speaks very quietly and then it's this blast of laughter. Hi there, Rockstar. My name's Christina Cantors and welcome to Stand Out, Get Noticed. This is a bonus episode for you. Yes, I'm not doing my normal Wednesday morning release. And the reason why this is a bonus episode is because it's not quite in line with what I usually do. And if you're a regular listener, you know that my show is based around helping you become more confident and effective at communicating. So covering topics like public speaking, networking, getting out of your comfort zone, being able to express yourself well, having great conversations, all of those things. And this is a conversation that wasn't part of my regular schedule. Do you remember Nat from episode 57, Natalia Dewiani? She and I got together and we interviewed John Yo, who's the curator of TEDx Melbourne. Now, if you're familiar with TED Talks, I'm sure you are if you're into speaking and communication, John Yo is the curator of the TEDx offshoot of TED here in Melbourne. And I decided to share this as a bonus episode as the conversation is around topics that are outside the main topics of this podcast that I normally talk about. We do touch briefly on John's work with TEDx, which is obviously about public speaking, but most of the conversation is is about John's views on life, on happiness, and curiosity. And plus, he shares the story of a near-death experience that affected him deeply. He's a fascinating guy to talk to, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Show notes will be at thecmethod.com slash TEDx. Okay, let's get to it. Here's John Yo. I love ideas. And so I guess for me, it was really the first space that I could hang with other people who kind of get that future thinking idealist not idealistic well it is idealistic in some sense but you know future future thinking progressive type thinkers i don't know many communities that that really play in that space especially in melbourne uh there's there's a few you know pause fest does a great job um willis center does a great job but uh apart from that maybe creative innovation but uh I've not been to one of those, so I can't really speak, but by the, by the lineup, it's always amazing. Um, so there's not many events in Melbourne where we're talking about the possibility. And so for me, it's, it's that potential that's mm. most exciting to me. And wh- whether it's Ted or anything else, I'm, I'm always interested in potential and human potential. So it's just a cool place to hang. Because mm. mm. I've been to, I've been to TEDx just before I got diagnosed with cancer and it's quite inspiring to be in a room full of people that believes in the possibilities and the ideas that comes up. And you just kind of think of why, you know, where did that come from? And to, to see the humanity that the power of people and to come yeah. up with the ideas that makes this world better and it's not just about the technology it's not just about the um the physical stuff as well but you know throughout the the storytelling as well yeah yeah look the core the core tenets around that are really important um ideas worth spreading yeah um and the power of ideas to 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 catalyze and mobilize people who um are really thinking 
partly outside of the box, but also um, really with a cl- clear direction. It's not kind of like this wishy-washy, I have a dr- you know, dream in its loosest sense, but, you know, I have a sense of where we could go with this if we were just to corral these particular concepts, ideas, technologies or whatever. And the ideas worth spreading concept is quite distinct from a lot of conferences and, and events that go around, you know, books, conferences, all that sort of stuff. Schools, education is largely um, information dissemination. Mm. And I think with the advent of the internet, internet's information's free. To yeah. a large extent, yeah, much more than it ever has been, yeah, um, and pretty much, uh, much you know, it's pretty much the next information revolution outside of the printing press. Uh, it's kind of a version two of that, yeah. But ideas worth spreading is also not just um, information dissemination; it's about um, what lights people up and what causes that to spread. So, it's all good to have an, a great idea. It's a whole other thing to have an idea that naturally spreads in a, in a viral sense. Mm. And so for me, that distinction is really, especially for my speakers, is how do you get an idea across that is extraordinary outside of your industry industry or area of expertise? Because then we're talking about something that's really something that other people can connect with. Mm. And then once we've got to that point, that that's the first port of call. The second one is um, once we do that, we've got to be careful that we're not doing lessons worth learning or lectures worth hearing. Mm. Ideas worth spreading is is really about the energy, the motivation, the intent, um, and and um, how that connects. How we use that to connect people, ideas, and 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 the potential within individuals. And I think that's a big difference between our event and the energy that's in the room versus any other conference. Because mm. you, sorry, because you want people to be the doer, to to take action. So absolutely, absolutely. What's been one idea in particular that stood out to you recently? Hmm. I am currently um, speaking, literally have the first main meeting with her tonight and her dad, um, the youngest person, male or female, to do an expedition to the South Pole. So she's 14. Um, and it's quite interesting because she didn't even know how to ski the year before. Um, but she decided she wanted to try it's a lack of a bold outrageous project. And she decided, well, South Pole seems pretty good. Uh, and she's currently planning to do the North Pole. So, um, and while actions and what people do is quite clever, the idea underneath that is really around, um, how do I best explain this? Her argument is that females in particular are told to be less in terms of lose weight, you know, hold space, you know, do all the things that, the, rather than go for the go for the the bold idea and, and and really reach for it, and so her argument is, you know, it's the mentality we take with us that allows us to achieve things beyond you know physical or gender or any of those other things. I mean, there's some extraordinary people doing amazing things with significantly less physical capability or mental capability than maybe any of us, but do it because they're focused. Yeah, and it's the focus that really counts. Um, so we're exploring how we want to share that idea. But it's interesting to me because it's a big part of pretty much everything everyone achieves is how you think. You know, thinking determ- you know, determines a whole bunch of things. Thinking determines what your next action is and the actions determine the next outcome. It's not what you do that creates the outcome. It's how you think about going about that thing. Because I'm sure there's a bunch of people who thought great ideas and nothing happened. Yeah. And well, there's great ideas all the time. Yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. They're just floating by. Yeah. It's just a matter of whether you pick it up and run with it. Yeah. And I think we talked a, a little bit earlier about self-awareness and, you know, that concept of, you know, know who you are and why you do what you do. And this is something that I'm passionate about. Yeah. People to just like be aware of who you are and be mindful about your being and to, to follow strongly in, in yourself because, you know, there is a lot of distraction these days. We talk, we talk about technology and how even though in one side, it, you know, it gives us so much information, it also can make us lost in that information and lost who you are. Yeah. And, you know, going through cancer, you know, I pretty much I, I lost everything except myself. Yeah. And in that, in that moment when you can find yourself, is that's when you can find the connection of the, the humanity that is in you and being able to inspire others to just, Hey, you know, even just one smile a day can change, can change your life. And I'm all about creating that, that small act of kindness that makes a big difference. And I, I, I wonder if this is something that you see with your speakers as well, you know, it's not yeah. about having that giant ideas, but it always starts from something that is small and letting people know that you can change the world. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, my personal belief, I think we have a moral responsibility to know ourselves mm. uh, in, in, in all aspects of ourselves um, because only at that point can we really have the resources within us to achieve anything um, because pretty much every great idea faced great adversity. Yep. And so without that focus, without that resilience, without the tenacity, um, ideas go nowhere. Mm. And so, you know, if you want to give yourself the best possible chance of achieving anything, you've got to, you've got to commit to yourself and what you can achieve yeah. and, and, um, build yourself up, not in a selfish way, but certainly in a self, um, resilient way. Otherwise yeah. you just kind of are beholden to what's really going on around us and what, yeah. you know, and, you know, then we end up being a passenger in our own existence. Yeah. But the question is, where did you find that self-resilient, right? These are the questions that people have. To yeah. Look, I think everyone finds that this is the challenge. Well, I guess you call it a challenge. The way people find that is quite different. So in your, your, your example is a really good example. You had a clarifying moment, especially with your cancer. And so that was your clarifying moment. For me, I had another clarifying moment that was quite different, what some people call uh, a near-death experience, which yeah. really determined for me... Um, what I was about and what I was here for. Um, I know we were explaining that just before, yeah. but it, it, you have to tell tell us the story. Oh, <laughs> you, you want to hear that story? Okay, so just just for everyone listening, yeah. we we've just had lunch, yeah, and we basically had a conversation that we could have recorded and turned into a brilliant podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now, and, and John told this story, and and that was like, we've got to get you to tell that story again yeah. on the podcast. So. So here it is. Here it is. <laughs> version, next version. So um, it was an interesting one because now I know what it is, but back then I had no idea what it was. Um, so I was I was um, basically about to go to bed. I was sitting up and I was just looking at the window and looking at the stars, nothing terribly exciting. But I noticed that one star was brighter than normal and I kind of went, that's a bit weird, but I didn't really take a whole lot of notice apart from – that initial thought. So I'm lying down and I'm just laying there and all of a sudden I feel a bit tingly and I'm going, I don't, that's not usual for me. So I, I'm trying to go to sleep and then all of a sudden I feel breathing on the back of my neck 
and I turn around and it's me, which is kind of freaky. And this happened when I was 16, so it was you know, quite a while ago. And uh, I remember turning back around again and suddenly my room was gone. It was just blackness. Hmm. And that blackness, uh, it's really hard to describe because there's no human-level words to describe. It was kind of like the blackest black you'd ever seen, yet had all the colours of the rainbow. It's the only way I can describe it. And the light was still there. So I remember drifting towards this light, intense desire, my mind-bogglingly intense desire. I've never had that intensity of desire ever mm-hmm. since. Um, and I'm floating towards this, and then I, I suddenly realise that, hang on a minute, what is this? What's going on? And so I came to the conclusion that the, the moment I touched that light, I would disappear. That would be the end. And I remember panicking and swinging my arms and legs, but I didn't have any arms and legs, so I kind of nothing was really happening. I kind of felt like I was more floating, mm. even though the intention for moving. And I thought, and I began sort of yelling, but I didn't have any lungs, so no sound was coming out. And so I'm going, and I, I really started panicking. I remember thinking, I'm not done yet. And then in an instant, I, you know, flash, I was like, bang, straight back in my body. I bounced out of bed off and, you know, and, and remember sitting bolt upright and I was still tingling, but I had this like covered in, drenched in sweat. And I remember looking around the room and it was, it was normal again. I went, and, and the, the statement, I'm not done yet has always stuck with me because mm. I didn't know what that was. And at the time I panicked, I, I, didn't I suppressed it for at least ten years? I didn't think about it again. Didn't address it again until I heard someone describing what happens during a near-death experience. And there's a lot of similar aspects. I thought, oh, that's that's what that was my experience. I had one, yeah, almost exactly the same experience. And that's that's what started that journey. Like, well, you know, I'm not done yet, but I I had I had a question, but I didn't know what the answer was mm. or maybe maybe i had an answer but i didn't know what the question was probably a better way to put it and so i began that began my curiosity of just going and reading and absorbing pretty much everything yeah. um from there i pretty much got addicted to information yeah. and ideas and have more or less studied and researched pretty much almost every day since then it's funny because that that statement of you know i'm not done yet and i'm i'm saying about the power in in your voice to say that I'm not done yet. Cause I actually gone through that moment as well when I was diagnosed with cancer. I said that, you know, I still got a mission in this world to make this world a happier place. And yeah. I want everyone to that listen to this know the power of that, um, strength to say that I'm not done yet and, and follow that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to get distracted as we were discussing before as well. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, uh, I had one guy who took an extreme example. He goes, um, no one cares what you're doing to the planet or everyone else. As long, what was his phrase? Something along the lines of, as long, as long as your tank doesn't knock over your satellite dish, no one will notice. Uh, so, you know, all sorts of crazy can happen outside, but if your, if your distractions get, you know, cut yeah. off for whatever reason, yeah. um, people seem to get upset. You know, can you imagine going without internet these days or yeah. TV or yeah. sports or any of the other things that, and I'm not saying they're all pure distractions, but, you know, um, what are those things that cause us to not focus on, I'm going to use the word mission. Yeah. Um, and I would argue that almost nobody sits down and works out what that mission is. And I would also argue that it probably takes maybe, well, it took me 10, 20 years to work that out. So I'm not saying this is an easy 
journey, easy journey. Yeah. But once you get there, everything seems so simple. So yeah. it's kind of this ironic type thing. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of like tying a shoelace. No, no one thinks about how they tie their shoelace, but yeah. I'm sure that the first day everyone tried to, I remember trying to tie the shoelace. <laughs> the very first day I tried to tie my shoelace. It was not that straightforward, but now it's kind of like easy now. Easy, yeah, yeah, it is easy now. What's your mission, John? Oh, wow. But I want to finish the shoelace thing because very quickly there's <laughs> oh, a TED okay. talk. Yeah, sure. There's a TED talk on how you tie your shoelace because he reckons everyone's doing it wrong. If you watch that talk, you probably are. So there's, there's a little oh, TED factoid. There you go. How to tie your shoelace. Yep. I've heard of that one. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I've seen the how Terry to make, Moore. I've seen the how to draw toast. Yes. One. Yes, how that to make toast. Cool. How that to make is, toast. That also is very cool. <laughs> By drawing it. Yeah. Have you seen that one? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he got this guy basically says, you know, if you had to make toast, what would you do? And he split people up into working groups. Yeah. And it's ironic because when he did it with engineers, they did all the physics of toast. And, you know, you'd speak <laughs> to a nap. Yeah. diagrams. Yeah. They had to do a visual representation. So the artists did like these beautiful photos of farms. Oh, amazing. And, you know, not photos, graphics of farms. And yeah, so. Anyway, we're getting off point to your original question, which was, what is my mission? Look, I've, me, because of that moment, it was not that complicated to find, although it took me, like I said, the t- 10, 20 years to kind of own it. Mm. And that, that's a big difference. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to do it and own it. Like yeah. everyone knows you should do exercise and eat healthy. Mm. Most people don't do it on a regular basis. Everyone knows you shouldn't eat crappy food. People do it. But most people don't do it healthily on a mm. daily basis. So. Mm. That's my point. This statement, although it sounds straightforward, is took a while to kind of get my head around. But mm. um, effectively, it is. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. It is yeah. to empower people to achieve their full, full potential and encourage them to do the same for others. Yeah. Because if you can imagine what would happen if everyone committed to doing that, and I'm not talking about empower them, you know, to to achieve grand schemes, but how do you help someone? achieve their next level or achieve small aspects of their larger goal. Yeah. And what if we did that on a communal basis? What could potentially happen? And I, I don't think it's that radical an idea. A lot of native tribes around the world, the Native Americans, the Aborigines, you know, the South American tribes, they all they all did that anyway. They mm-hmm. all were a collective of self-supporting organizations. They were symbiotic with each other and the environment they lived in. Yeah. And they did it for tens of thousands of years quite happily. You know? Yeah. No exploitation, no, um, you know, environmental, um, damage, um, very minimal, um, psychological and, you know, psychotic instances, health issues to a degree, but only to the extent that, um, you know, it was infected, affected largely by environment, um, and, and a whole bunch of other things, which I won't go into now. Um, but they always had a simple solution. And there's a guy called, um, well, he's not around anymore, Don Tolman, but he, his son carries on that message where he went and st- he was a, started medical school, didn't really get into that, went and studied the world's natives' tribes and worked out, and I can't remember if I got the numbers right, but there were 13 major classes of illnesses and seven cures, or the other way around, I can't remember. Mm. Every tribe on every continent. Wow. Oh. the same number of illnesses? Yeah. Had classes that mm. basically amalgamated to 13 and 7. Um, and it's not the number that's really interesting, although that is quite intriguing. I think the fact that we seem it, it's so easy to complicate things very quickly, and I think a large part of our distraction is everything can get complicated so quickly. But once you have mastery of that complication, then it looks easy. 
Mm. And any maestro almost in, inevitably has gone through that extraordinary complexity before they found that simple yeah. concept. And we were discussing earlier today about first principles. You know, and I'm a big fan of, you know, what is the first principle? Because that's a great place to start for any exploration. Mm. You know, so when it comes to diet, what would cavemen do? Yeah. You know, psychology and state of, of being, what would cavemen do? And I'm not saying that's the answer, but from there you can work out the, the basic biological and psychological principles by which everything else starts to get more complicated. Yeah. We actually joke earlier and asked, like, would cavemen talk about their feelings only? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I think if you, know, if you go back to all those native tribes, I, I, I don't think they would do it any other way. Yeah. They know, the, the thing is, if you know yourself, you actually don't need to ask the question. Yeah. About how other people feel. You just know. Mm. Um, because there's that sense of knowing about the general well-being of your immediate cohort. And if you spend enough time with anyone, anyone who's traveled for anyone with anyone for, you know, extended periods of time will know exactly what I'm talking about. You get to know exactly what the person's thinking feels, how they respond, how they act. Mm. And once you get to that point, you can read people without them saying. Yeah. And I think the same principles apply. Yeah. I wonder if you ever heard a story about a tribe. I think it was in Africa that, you know, if, if, if a part of the member of that community is sick, they would like gather together and sing to give them strength. I don't know if you heard that story. I've not heard that exact one, but I have heard one where they did a similar thing about misdemeanors. So mm-hmm. if someone did something that they technically wouldn't do, yeah. they would have a friendship circle and they'd come down and every single member of that tribe will say why they felt that in person was amazing. Yeah. And, um, why they're confused that he would choose or he, she would choose to do something that was contravention to the values of that tribe. Yeah. In order to fold them back into the, you know, cause it's an interesting perspective because it assumes that they are right in the first place. Yeah. And they are a good person in the first place and they've kind of gone off the path. Yeah. Whereas the, the current, especially medical model is it assumes everything's broken. Yeah. And how do we fix it? It's a completely yeah. different attitude. Um, and I think that's where the advent of a lot of positive psychology, which, you know, maybe 20 years ago was mostly laughed at, yeah. is only just beginning to, only just beginning to get some sort of recognition, recognition. but it's not, there, it's not there yet, but, yeah. you know, and I, I think it's a similar thing. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm a big advocate of officially positive psychology rather than getting people to zero. How can we get them to 10, you know, and knowing that it's like who we are, we have to that, have that empowerment of, Loving yourself and believing in yourself and believing in, in, in your cause and your voice. And it's a pity that their voice often get deafened by the noises that are on the outside. And isn't it amazing? Like when you said, Oh, you know, when there is someone doing a misdemeanor, you know, people would come and then tell them how amazing they are. But when was the last time we did this in this community? You know, tell others how amazing they are. You know, there's a lot of gossips that happens in the office, like, um, something that I want to change in the work cul- culture is about empowerment, you know, rather than putting people down. Why don't we just like lift people up and, you know, make, make a world a, a brighter place? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I, I think that's one of the interesting things about TED is that it is, it is a very, um, optimistic community. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I think that's it. And when a bunch of optimistic get, get together, extraordinary things can happen. Yeah. Have you had many ideas shared? in TEDx Melbourne around the idea of happiness and what happiness is? Um, not directly. 
Mm. And the challenge around um, quantifying emotion is there's there's, there's um, what's the word? I don't have the technical term for it, but I mean there is a lot of data around the result of all those values, but it's very difficult to quantify emotions specifically. Um, we did talk about some people who've tried. Yeah. The Stephen Hawking's a really good example, um, but. Um, Happiness is not really – it's funny. When people find their path, know what they're here for and get really passionate and focus on what they're passionate about and continue to grow that, happiness is actually a symptom of that, that it's not an end point. Mm. And so um, I think if you're looking for happiness, it's kind of like grasping at air. It's not there. But if you focus on what lights you up most, happiness is a default – response yeah so i would argue that pretty much everyone who i've had on my stage who loves their topic is in a degree of happiness because they've kind of found their thing even when they're speaking to a large audience and they're freaking out (laughs) i mean that's where their power comes from isn't it i mean if if you and we were just discussing the point if you if you are centered around knowing yourself then you are immovable as an object you know, and if you love what you do, you won't care about what people think as much because you're so enamored by the concept that you've grown to embrace. Everyone's got one of those. And I'm not saying everyone can live off one of those, but I'm pretty certain that if you were to follow that end on end on end and have the faith and focus and courage and resilience to continue that, they would form stepping stones to ultimately the thing where you do find out what you can do that you love that's related to what you really love and you could probably make a living off it. Um, and I'm not saying everyone needs to be a famous, I don't know, brain surgeon or a, a genius whatever, but, you know, I've seen some ecstatic people who take extraordinary pride on some of the most simplest things, you know, so from from janitors all the way up to CEOs, mm. and because they're on purpose, mm. and I think we're largely moving to a purpose-driven world in that context. People are less willing to explore, ex, um, ex, accept exploitation of people or environment or animals, for instance. Um, people are much more interested interested in social policy uh uh when it comes, especially when it comes to commerce. You know, if you knew that there was one brand that definitely exploited x y or z and one that didn't you know it's not a it's not that hard a decision to make especially if the price point's the same uh and some people that that price point they're willing to pay more for but the fact is it's we ultimately align with people with similar beliefs and values and beliefs and values are, are a moving target you know um three four hundred years ago the beliefs and values about the probability of getting to the moon or medical science was vastly different than it is today. Mm. And as we evolve as a, as a, as a human race, um, those things evolve too. So I've kind of gone off tangent, but uh, <laughs> anyone who, who really connects to what they love and believe in will find their purpose. And once you've got their purpose, pretty much anything's possible. The challenge is a lot of people just go, go find your purpose. And again, that's the same, 
it's not an endpoint. Mm. It's a journey. It's kind of like, well, what do I love doing? What excites me most? What can I explore about that? Who can I share that with? And that often leads to other opportunities. Yeah. Was it Robin Sharma who said, the purpose of life is a life of purpose? Yeah, I think it was. I think it's beautiful. Mm. The people who, just going back to the people who are, the the speakers that you work with for TEDx, are they, when they come to you and you start working with them, are they already at that point where they know themselves and their ideas so well that they are so excited to share this with people? Or is it a process that you actually have to help them get to, to build them up to this large speaking yeah. experience? The, the only way they're going to get their point across with conviction and with clarity is to go through that process. Some of them have already been through that, um, but uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very small percentage, maybe 3%, 5%. The mm-hmm. rest of them, we kind of have to march them through that process and, you know, kicking and streaming in, in some respects. Uh, but very rewarding at the end. I think anything, anything worth doing means you, you're going to face your demons and, and, and other people's versions of demons about why you're, why you can't do something. And like I said, if you are 100% um, embracing that passion, then that just becomes one of the things you need to work out. But the fact is you, you'll continue to do it. You'll have to climb the mountain. Yeah. I mean, you know, to to use the the Steve Jobs comment about making a ding in the universe, that's what he wanted to do. So everything was built around and underneath that. And, you know, I would say that pretty much anyone who's achieved something at that level probably has a catch cry, if you want to call it that, for themselves that that is off that vein. And so when working with my speakers is how do we help them identify what that might be? Because from there... That becomes the beacon by which all the other material and content becomes self-evident in terms of, oh, we could definitely put this in, but this is kind of not directly related, or I forgot to put in this bit, or you know, this aspect that I never thought about that actually impacted the way I believe about or think about something suddenly comes to light. And it's that journey is where the time takes and their willingness to step through that journey. Um, and so, you know, as we are discussing before, it's probably eight, 26 hours time with me to work out what that might be. Do we even get a glimpse of what that might be? Mm. Yeah, plus practice, whatever that. So some of these people probably put 50, 100 hours into their talk. Yeah. But, I mean, that's why it looks so easy, right? Yeah. I mean, anybody who's good at anything, it's because they've basically done it a lot. There's very almost nobody that's got natural talent that could just stand up, do something, and walk away and not have to prepare for it. You know, mm. That's a very small percentage of people. Yeah. And um, just to touch back, uh, touch on again on happiness because obviously that's the topic that I very passionate sure. for, and I love that. Uh, I actually wanted to ask the question, but Christine already asked in terms of the secret of happiness. But you already explained that the secret of happiness on on your point of view is about finding your purpose, finding your gift, and then sharing that with others. Because if you love what you're doing, then you'll find the happiness. And yeah, it's quite similar to my concept of uh, happiness. Like I believe people are happiest when they have the freedom to be who they are. And then it's about getting that freedom and then pursuing that freedom and knowing who you are. That's when, when you feel like I'm home. Yeah. Because there is always a lot of things out there that will take the essence of you. But it's about saying no and then pursuing that. Okay. No, this is, this is who I am and I will not be distracted by 
what other people are saying by the event that happens to you. Mm-hmm. That um, yeah. And then the the next questions that I want to ask as well is about going through cancer. Obviously, uh, we we talk a lot about you know what does life means. You know what 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 life is all about. And uh, this is a question that I want to ask you as well. You know what do you think your life means, and what do you think life is all about? Well, I think it comes back to the the. the the point around um, we have a moral responsibility yep. in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that's that's my most curious and interesting journey. Yeah. Um, if if you were to continue to focus on that, it's amazing what interesting things pop up and opportunities pop up when you just stay on that path. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, arguably, everyone, everything, everyone does. Is because they believe it's going to get them something, mm-hmm. and whether that's self-destructive or not, they believe it's going to get them something. So, happiness is really the pursuit of, of, of the growth we have as human beings. Yeah. And so, um, no one gets in the up in the morning and goes, "Oh, I'm I'm going to you know see if I can make myself as miserable as possible." <laughs> yeah. But everyone, everyone does something somewhere between the that's good enough to I'm going to make this world amazing. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you think about all the things that happen on a daily basis, 99.9% of the stuff that's happening on the planet is good most of the time. Mm-hmm. So we almost don't see the forest for the trees. It's there all the time. Yeah. It's only for some reason when the exception happens that, it, you know, that, that people highlight it. And, yeah. And that's, that's the whole pretense behind the news. Yeah. There is actually something, respects. there is actually something said about, you know, 80 to 70%, um, the perception that people get is negative, you know, either to the news or the TV. And that's why, question actually, do you watch TV? Yeah. Not really. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> I, I discovered that by accident. I was, um, I was, this is again in the nineties, I was backpacking, I was living in a place and, um, I didn't have much money. Yeah. I had a four hour video cassette back then. And, uh, London's such a great place because there's so much going on. So I thought, oh, I can't watch that TV. So I'm just going to record it. And then when I get a chance on the weekend, I'll watch it. Yeah. Or the other way around, depending, you know. What I worked out was that the video recorder was watching more TV than I was. And because I was cheap as a backpacker, if I didn't watch it that week, I just record over the top. And what I noticed was I kept recording over the top. Like week after week after week, it's like, well, why the hell am I even recording it? So I stopped recording it. Yeah. And so that was probably for me the the first moment where I realized that, you know, I didn't miss it. The other part was that previous to that, I was backpacking. I was on the road most of the time. So TV wasn't, I was in like, I did a national parks tour. So for a long time, months. And so I didn't really see any TV for no other reason than it wasn't physically available to me. Mm-hmm. And so that for me, were the, probably the two pegs in the ground that, that made me realize that I didn't really miss anything. And the other thing I noticed was while I was backpacking was, I, I still remember this to the day, this day I said, I'm going to go backpacking for 10 months. And someone said, Oh, you're going to miss out on everything. So I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, Oh, think of all the things on the news. Cause he knew I was growing this national parks tour. I'm thinking, I'll be there. I won't need to look at the news to see what's going <laughs> no, on in the yeah. world. It was a really bizarre comment, but, um, and then suddenly realized that. How someone would, because my my dad used to, he used to love the news. He used to watch like Channel Nine News and then SBS News and then ABC News because he wanted different perspectives on the same news pieces, and they all have distinctly different views. 
So my dad was practically addicted to the news because he wanted to see what was going on in the world. But so kind of we had these two different perspectives on what was going on out there. The other thing that I noticed was that what was on the news about what they said about a certain person or country, when you got to that country, was totally misrepresented. And yeah. it was like, oh, my. Now, suddenly realised that the editors of news channels have so much power over what we perceive. Yeah. Because they decide what we're going to see. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when you're there, you can't avoid not seeing it because you're there. Mm-hmm. So it, you get full, unadulterated, unedited happenings around you. And I realised that what the news says about certain people or countries was actually not at all what the people or country was about. Mm-hmm. And once I went, at that point, I got this addiction to learning about people and culture and f- food. And well, when you start learning about people and culture, food usually comes up as one of those conversations. Um, and so those three things really became fascinating to me because all of a sudden I got to see the real human beings and the real values and the real perspectives of the people living in these places. Yeah. And that's amazing insight, you know, as, as a coach, you know, I always, and <laughs> you're a coach as well, so yeah. it's about seeking your own truth and the power of perception and how powerful perception can be. You know, once you put a judgment on A, it's like this, and then if you believe it, you take away the power of, you know, seeking the truth that there is behind that. And yeah, it's, it's always about having that integrity to, to seek the truth yourself and what's what's right for you and yeah, yeah go beyond that yeah look go, go and look I, I think that's the other reason why ted's so popular it's suddenly all the things that are leading edge interesting engaging that you wouldn't find in the news yeah suddenly there's a place where people can go and explore that sort of stuff any topic any discipline mm. and suddenly we can become broadly um aware of the breadth of not only the amazingness of people and ideas but where the latest thinking is at. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, I think, to create a space where people can attach to what lights them up, be more informed, engaged, um, is a unique position for a brand like Ted to hold. Yeah. And I don't, I can't think of any other brands that do, do that specific thing, which is, I think, one of the reasons why it's so successful. Yeah, definitely. And I want to, uh, rise briefly about leadership. You know, one of the TED Talk, uh, that inspires me in terms of leadership is actually by Benjamin Sanders. Yes. <laughs> it's an amazing. Shining and, eyes. You know, it's shining yeah. eyes. And this is well, I mean, you say like what lights people up. And it's actually the first, my turning point in terms of embracing my leadership that how do you know when you make an impact? It's like when their eyes shine. And yeah. Yeah. You know. You know. <laughs> you know it's the only way to describe it. Yeah. What's your favorite TED Talk? Uh, it's the most common question. It's probably the most difficult to answer. So I like different talks for different reasons. Some of them were technically really well delivered. Some of them are just clever and quirky and intriguing. Some have quite profound depth, but a lot of, is often lost unless you really think about it. So I like different talks for different reasons. Um, so I'm going to go to kind of give you a few. There's no one favorite, but I think one of my earliest ones was Jill Bolte Taylor, mm-hmm. the, the, my stroke of insight. Cause do you remember the near death experience I was yeah. telling you about? Yeah. A lot of the stuff that she explains were very similar to my experience. So suddenly I had scientific words to explain something that I 
didn't have words for. So for me, that was personally quite profound. Yeah. It was also one of the first TED Talks to go online. So I think it kind of got a lot of airplay for that reason. Um, there's another one by a guy called Derek Sivers called Weird or Just Different. Mm-hmm. And what I like about that idea is it's technically maybe not the best technical delivery, but the idea is quite profound, which is essentially um, no new idea comes from the position you started at. Yeah. You've got to find a new angle or perspective. And he talks about all the assumptions we make about our life are because we're coming from a specific angle. But what if you found another angle to that? Yeah. So uh, the beauty of that talk is it's two minutes and 42 seconds. So quite profound in short periods of time. Yeah. I loved his talk also on what starts a movement. Yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> the and crazy his, and guy. His, the crazy <laughs> yeah. dancing guy. Yeah. And yeah. the obvious to you amazing to others. That really hit me. Yeah. Like that really, for anyone yeah. who's creative or has ideas and is trying to do something great, you know, to, to see that, it's like, yeah. it really gives you that validation of, yeah. wow, what I do is actually good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love Nat gives me a hug. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, the, the one the thing I like about all his talks are um, they're based on first principles. Mm. Uh, I think I mentioned before I'm a big fan of first principles. It's very simple. Like yeah. you watch it and you go, oh, yeah. It makes so much sense, yeah. and it's so simple. Yeah. And you, you wonder why something so simple could be so pr- profound. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Thank no you worries. so much. An incredible John. amount of wisdom and thoughts. So, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. No worries. <laughs> thank you. No worries. Big thanks to John Yo for sharing his insights and stories with us. Find out how you can connect with John in the show notes at thecmethod.com/tedx. And that's the end of this bonus episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd really appreciate it if you could share it with your friends, colleagues, whoever you think would also enjoy this episode. Keep on being awesome and I'll see you real soon for the next episode. My name's Christina Cantors and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. Get Noticed.